we would send Trevor out. And the first time he got footage of them together, I was just like, okay, I've known Larange <laughs> enough to know the look on his face was different. Mm, and so, uh, yeah, it was very clearly on that if we just kept following that story, it was going to go somewhere for sure. And um, yeah, we were all kind of in a weird stage. Trevor, myself, and Larange ended up meeting our future wives at the beginning of the project and marrying them before the project was out. So we all kind of grew up as a part of this project. Welcome to Bitch Talk. I'm Aaron Lim. This is Ange, a.k.a. Captain Party. And I'm producer Shar. And over the last 10 years, we've been elevating marginalized voices through interviews and events, sometimes over a glass of whiskey. Welcome to day six of our Sundance and Slamdance film festival coverage. Today from Slamdance, we have two documentaries that focus on two very different artists. We have The Mad Writer and With Peter Bradley. A big thank you to 48 Hills and our listeners for voting us Best of the Bay, Best Podcast. And now, on with the show. And we're on the Festival Daily Buzz. My name is John Wildman. I'm the editor-in-chief of FilmsGoneWild.com. Here with the Bitch Talk team, Angela Tabora and Aaron Lim. And on this segment, we're going to be talking about the film The Mad Rider. It's screening at Slamdance, and we've got a team here. We have Zach Kashkit, the director. We have Austin Hart, otherwise known as Laurange, the uh, star of this endeavor. He's here. We've got John Webb, producer. And we also have Trevor Metcher. we got some DP love on this show. Yeah, so yeah. welcome to the show, guys. <laughs> Thank you very Thank much you. Thanks for having us. All right. We always start this by having our director introduce our audience to the film. They haven't seen it as yet. You're up to bat. I am. It's called The Mad Writer. It's a film about a hip hop producer named LaRange who uh, encounters a stunning diagnosis that's threatening his career and uh, his passion for music. And we kind of chart the journey of his surgeries and hopeful recovery to be able to continue his career. Okay. <laughs> Austin, um, it's it's no surprise to anyone um, when you watch this film how much you talk about hating this process um, <laughs> or this project. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but you end up sharing a lot um, about your mental health journey and about your health journey in general. Can you talk about opening up? And was there a moment where you're like, okay, I'm doing this and I'm just going to go full force? Yeah, that was, that was from day one, ironically, because... Uh, you know, when they pitched me the idea at first, it wasn't interesting at all. It was uh, <laughs> the idea of, you know, filming me because I, I, you know, I was a musician and it didn't make any sense to me. There are more successful musicians, there are more interesting musicians, and there are th people that are doing many more things than I am. Uh, but eventually they circled around and pitched me an idea about um, mental health and about um, being a person at all. And, and that is very interesting to me. And so even though I had no interest in the process, I assume that was probably part of the pitch because he knows who I am. And so uh, there would be no reason to ask me to do this if he was expecting me to be any different than I am. So even though I was reluctant to uh, be a part of it and I, and I was certainly not easy to work with, I, I, <laughs> I also um, knew what I signed up for. And the most interesting thing to me was the vulnerability and mm -hmm. confronting something about myself and maybe um, uh, sharing an experience from someone that uh, doesn't often feel understood with uh, people that may feel the same. 
You know, I want to jump in really quickly because, you know, as I was watching the film, you know, I, uh, and along with doing this kind of thing, I also do dog rescue. And sometimes when you're trying to rescue a, a, a dog, um, the dog doesn't want to be rescued. And so you like, we'll do a thing where like you sit on a sidewalk and you know, I'm not facing you. I'm not anywhere near here. And, you know, and, and maybe you'll have a treat in the back of your hand you know, behind you. And so it'll kind of work its way up to you. And then you can rescue that dog. So Zach, I was thinking about you as I was watching this, like going, did you have to kind of sneak your way into getting Austin to agree to do stuff and to participate? <laughs> no. Because he was so aggressively <laughs> no. against That is accurate. That is how I felt. <laughs> 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 No, I mean, the truth is, you know, it was hard to get him to sign up to do the film at all. But once he did, he was he was very on board with what we were doing. But what we were doing was in part a meta exploration of making the film at all. Like we recognized early on that it would be silly to try to hide the fact that he was uncomfortable and that he was, you know, not exactly a game subject, that he was doing it as almost a favor and didn't fully understand the the what the film was going to look like in the end. Um, but I think it ended up making it a little more interesting and complex and more unique as a film to like watch a person who on screen doesn't even understand why you want to film them come around by the end to sort of getting it in front of your eyes. I think was uh, it helped the film stand apart. Yeah, that, that is true. I, I don't think I've ever seen a film with a, a subject such as, mm -hmm. as Austin. And, and I do want to hear from our, our DP and our producer, from your perspective, you're putting in all this work and Austin's like, what? You guys are wasting your time. What are you doing here? <laughs> uh, how, how did you capture this side of him that he didn't know he had and continue to believe in the project, even though he didn't? Well, also from day one, Austin made it clear how uncomfortable he was with it when uh, we did the initial concept shoot uh, down at A3C in Atlanta, Georgia. And I live in Atlanta and uh, Zach called me and said, hey, you know, we want to do this project. Can you come out? And uh, so I, I, if you're familiar with Atlanta and you know East Atlanta, it's kind of the hipsterville of, of mm. uh, the city. And so being out there shooting some B-roll, I happened to catch Austin, who I didn't know who he was at the time. Just stepping out before the show, taking a break, smoking a cigarette. And I was like, oh, okay, well, this is a great shot. This is very East Atlanta. So I'll shoot it. And after I, I took the shot, he called me over and said, hey, are you Zach's guy? And I said, yeah. And, uh, you know, thanks for, you know, participating in this. He's like, well, I'm not really here with a lot of excitement. And if it's all the same to you, you seem like a nice guy, but I don't really want to be seen with you. <laughs> and I don't really want to talk to you. Uh, so if you could just... Just disappear. And, uh, and as a cameraman, you know, ha having gone through a million other worse experiences of, you know, physical assault from people who want to, <laughs> you know, hit the camera, don't point that at me. It really didn't seem like anything. And so uh, we, uh, yeah, I went inside and the Earl is a very dark venue. So it was very easy for me to kind of hide behind people and shoot very long lens and create kind of a voyeur perspective that looked cool. And also, I think, uh, tapped into some of the isolation he was feeling at the time and where he was in his life. Trevor won me over a bit that day because he did disappear. I did not see him. <laughs> and, you know, that's exactly what I want. Yeah. And the footage from that day looks great. And it was really like we talked a lot, Trevor and I, early on about having this sort of voyeuristic view of Austin trying to, like, shoot from behind walls and behind plants and all this stuff behind people's heads. And um, yeah, that was the first, that was the first shoot. It really. And from that, we also realized that we want uh, the texture we wanted to go for in the film uh, coming from the North Carolina School of the Arts back, you know, it's crazy, crazy to say 12 years ago, 
back when they still shot a little bit of film, we actually, that's our background was shooting 16 millimeter mm -hmm. and having, uh, which is a documentary format by nature. Um, we were shooting narrative projects in school on it just to get the experience. Uh, but through that, and actually through some collaborations in school, we found a mutual love of that texture and liveliness of the grain. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And also, I mean, kind of, you know, what you're saying, like, um, you know, getting the project, uh, project going and stuff when we were interviewing, uh, I think the, a really good thing that we did was just kind of create the space to let Laurent like kind of talk and just kind of just always be rolling, always be shooting mm -hmm. and everything. And so, um, I think allowing that space really let him just get, you know, open up, really. Mm -hmm. yeah. Trying to have a, a light foot, a light touch. Yeah. Yeah. Light touch for sure. Mm -hmm. Especially, you know, dealing with such subject matter, you know, that's like very personal and, um, you know, we, we don't want to ever, we never wanted, uh, you know, it to feel, uh, like exploitative, yeah. you know, and it's like, you know, we really want to uh, approach it with care and, you know, honesty. And I think, you know, you know, I think Laurence kind of felt that in the uh, the space that we created. And so, uh, yeah, I, I love how it all turned out. Again, knowing how Austin felt about this process, I thought it was a little bit daring uh, to include Leah in the story, because once she shows up, I'm like, hmm, that's interesting, because mm -hmm. how is that going to wind up? not going to give anything away but can you talk about that process yeah actually we were just talking about it outside i mean we had been shooting larange for about two years before he met leah so we had even yeah. shot him on first dates with other <laughs> you know girls or whatever and uh -huh. we we recognized very early on that this was something different for him i mean it was like incredibly clear i think uh trevor who i would send trevor out by the way on shoots without me constantly probably 65 percent of the shoots trevor went on without me and so a huge part of the look of the film is just trevor um but we would send trevor out and the first time he got footage of them together i was just like okay i've known larange <laughs> enough to know the look on his face was different mm, and so uh, yeah it was very clearly on that if we just kept following that story it was going to go somewhere for sure and um yeah we were all kind of in a weird stage trevor myself and larange ended up meeting our future wives at the beginning of the project and marrying them before the project was out so we all kind of grew up as a part of this project wow yeah. <laughs> oh congrats yeah thank you <laughs> thanks and, and that is nice and romantic but that's also how time works yeah <laughs> correct <laughs> things happen true. evolve very true sometimes very true. but i also thought it was pretty brave because I, I i don't want to get ahead but if i remember i think that was one of your guys first couple dates yeah. that we actually went to and i was like when i found that out we were actually kind of already on the way there in there and we found that i'm like wow like uh, what a statement to mm -hmm. for us and to her to tell her like hey uh, i've got these guys following yeah. me around <laughs> exactly. pretty unique first date mind. right yeah. no pressure yeah let's talk about um the movie that you wound up with, because oftentimes, you know, you'll start into something, you go, well, this is the movie we're making. Yeah. And either sometime during shooting um, or sometimes you're in the editing bay, you go, oh, holy crap, this is actually the movie yeah. right here. Um, was there a moment or a couple moments that you can point to where, where you as the director said, holy crap, mm -hmm. this is the movie? Yeah, well, I mean, for, truly, the initial idea was to kind of explore the dichotomy of a person who was potentially... Uh, insular you know didn't go out that much didn't have too many uh, friends to speak of and was a closed off kind of person but also striving for this career path that mm -hmm. wanted fame or at least you know that you're successful when you get fame um i thought that was interesting but then about a month into when we we tried to get him to agree to make it for about a year about a month into shooting he called me and told me he was bleeding from the ears 
And we're like, oh, well, that's mm-hmm. something. That's interesting. And it was a real turning point for the film. I mean, we, uh, John and I really struggled with feeling like we were going to exploit this tragedy. And we really talked a lot with him about whether or not we should continue the project at all. But um, when he allowed us to continue, it kind of reframed the project. You know, like we really set out at the beginning to make more of a comprehensive historical biofilm on him and kind of track his career trajectory. Because at the point we started shooting him, he really was blowing up. He had all this stuff out on Adult Swim and Harmony Corinne directed campaign for Gatorade. I mean, like he was really killing it. And we just thought someone would make a doc on him eventually. It might as well be us. We, we knew him very well. Um, but yeah, when that happened, it kind of, when the ear trouble happened, it sort of helped reframe it. And we realized instead of a more comprehensive biofilm, we could kind of explore a lot of the things we wanted to about his life just by examining what he was going through in that moment in real time and really make it like more of a window into that experience than try to maybe bite off more than we could chew. All right, Austin. So you didn't want to do it. But now it's done. Uh, I don't know how fun it is for you to do interviews, but you probably don't like this part as much either. <laughs> but uh, what are your thoughts? Are you happy you, you've done it? And, you know, it really is going to help a lot of people to see your story. Uh, no, You know, the interviews are actually more fun than the movie for me, you know, because <laughs> I, I, I get an opportunity to talk directly with people and you and your listeners and. Uh, maybe even fill in a few little gaps from from the movie mm. and in whatever way, but you know I, I'm I, I don't know I don't I don't know if um uh, if 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 happy about it is the right word and I'm not angry about it. It's just um I'm happy it is what it is and and uh, I now that I've seen it, it's um I think I was expecting some sort of mystery and that was sort of a, an anxiety and then I watched mm. it and I kind of realized I was there for the whole time. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I like how it's put together. I, I like that it acknowledges um, some of the things that were very important to me because one of my biggest concerns with my ear surgery wasn't my hearing with the documentary. It was um, that it would distract from the reasons why I signed up for this in the first place. Uh, because as much of an advocate as I am for hearing loss, and that's become a part of my life now, uh, mental illness has been a part of my life my whole uh, since childhood. And um, that's the thing that was the most important to me. And so seeing that acknowledged and seeing that um, some people have been able to relate to it, uh, it means a lot to me. Well, again, the title of the film is The Mad Writer, uh, which is screening at Slamdance. We've been talking to the director, Zach Kashkut. We've been talking to Austin Hart, the uh, featured focus of this film, John Webb producer, Trevor Metro, the DP on the film. Thanks for being on the show, you guys. Thank you Thank guys you. so much. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. us. Yeah. This episode is made possible by Ann Wang, Natalie Gamble, the Papa Lowdown Agency, the Friesen family, Jenny Yang, Fleetwood, a.k.a. Nico, Melanie Pena, Lauren Lim, Catherine Tulio, Courtney Kita, Myla Blog, Anita Tabora Rodriguez, Arabella DeLuco, Chloe Jackman of Chloe Jackman Studios, Shauna Festi, Stephanie Walton, Lisa Shad, Antoinette Tabora, and Storied San Francisco. Thank you so much for donating, and a special shout-out to the Slamdance Film Festival for providing us a recording home in Park City.
from the Treasure Mountain Inn, we're going to be talking about Sundance and Slamdance films from 2023. With me is Angela Tabora and Aaron Lim from Bitch Talk. My name is John Wildman. I'm the editor-in-chief for FilmsGoneWild.com. And our film on our, this segment is with Peter Bradley. It's a screening of Slamdance, a documentary directed by Alex Rappaport, who's with us. And we also have composer Javon Jackson with us. Welcome to the show, guys. Good to be here. Thank you. Okay, we start this thing off the same way every darn time. Alex, you get to tell our audience about the film and introduce it because they haven't seen it as yet. So tell us. <laughs> yeah, I need to get better at doing that. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a feature documentary. It's a portrait piece uh, about Peter Bradley, obviously, who's uh, now 82-year-old black abstract painter and sometimes sculptor um, who happens to live like a five or six minute drive from me in Saugerties, New York, which is a town of less than 20,000 people in the Hudson Valley. Um, and Peter, like myself, I, I like to say we're sort of creative rent refugees, you know, out of New York <laughs> City. Um, I've been there for 20 years and Peter for, I guess, at least 25. Um, and so we met through a local art gallerist. And the film is really just a simple, intimate experience. Peter and I were the only people involved. He's the only person on screen, uh, except for his cat. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, it just sort of developed organically. I didn't really have anything in mind. So the, the, the feel of the piece is we weave back and forth between moments of Peter working with his process and talking about his art with him. Really, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a film memoir. You know, Peter's talking about his life the entire time. So those chapters of Peter's life, we kind of get through as we progress through the film. That was a long-winded way of answering that. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, that was perfect. And I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned he's the only one on camera because it, it feels like so many people and things are on camera because his life encompasses so much. So I'm curious to know how you even began to tell a concise story in one film for somebody who's lived so much and, and were there parts of his story that you had to leave out? <laughs> well, there's a lot, there's a, there's a lot of great anecdotes that got left out some involving famous people. Peter, one <laughs> of the great things that people enjoy about watching Peter is he becomes a kind of Zelig like figure, uh, someone that had connections with a lot of known figures in art and culture and music in particular. Um, so, yeah, and I don't get into Peter's personal life, really. I just didn't feel like that's a story I'm qualified to tell. <laughs> and it wasn't so interesting to me in terms of my focus was just to to sort of see this portrait of, of a creative person at work. Um, and he told us plenty of other details about his life um, as well. It was a challenge. You know, it took me two and a half years to to edit it. The fun and games was shooting it. That was great fun, <laughs> just hanging out with the camera with Peter. But a, a lot of time to figure out a structure that works and a, and a time, you know, generally. Um, and, and a big part of the film working structurally has to do with the music that Javon composed. Um, an incredible original jazz score performed live by his quintet. Um, and it's really a whole other character in the film. It's just there with us the whole time, yeah. Yeah, let me jump in really quickly because, um, you know, it's not often that we, we do these shows and we get late breaking news uh, kind of things. But we do have this because in this case, um, Javon here uh, just was nominated for NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Jazz Album for the Gospel According to Nikki Giovanni. So congratulations on that. 
Thank you very much. Very cool. Um, uh, but yeah, let, let, let's talk about because the, the I, I mean, I spoke extensively uh, with uh, Annie Jeeves, your publicist, about the music in this film and loving the music in this film. Uh, and it, and it's, it's not just great music, but it really is enmeshed in the story of um, Peter Bradley's life. So please, Javon, talk about your approach to it. Right. Well, fortunate uh, in this situation that I've known Peter my whole adult life. I joined the great Art Blakey um, eons ago when I was 21. <laughs> and during that time, I met Peter Bradley. And Peter would come to uh, performances we would do in New York City. And he, he and I became friends. He loved to talk about saxophone players and trumpet players and some of his favorites. And he and I began a friendship. And so after Art Blakey uh, passed away, I would call him and say, Peter, I'm playing here, blah, blah, blah. I'm, re I'm recording on 20th Street. I'll be there. And every time he would show up. Um, so I've known him. Uh, he would come to performances and I'd say, hey, he, he's a really great dresser. Mm -hmm. I said, where'd you get that ascot? One time he took it off, handed it to me. Mm -hmm. So I've known him for all those years and gotten a chance to kind of have a window into some of his likes and dislikes. And then for a period of years, we just hadn't spoken he had moved to Socrates, as Alex just mentioned. And uh, one morning, a person called me. Um, I'm an artistic director at a jazz festival in Poughkeepsie, New York. Mm -hmm. And she said, hey, um, somebody wants to talk to you. And he says, hey, you know what this is? I said, Peter Bradley. I hadn't <laughs> talked to him forever. But the th crazy thing is, all these years, I never knew he was an artist. He never wow. talked about his art. So I never knew until I went up. To he said, when are you going to come see me? And whenever he'd ask me, I would always go see him. At his, he used to live on Jane Street in the city, in the village, New York City, sorry. Uh, There's a lot of cities yeah. in New York City, <laughs> but it's only really a one city. But anyway. <laughs> oh, oh, that's another conversation. Yeah. I know, we're going to leave that alone. Well, everybody knows the city, New York. Yeah. But anyway, so I uh, would always go visit him on Jane Street in the village. But then I drove up to Socrates and I saw all of his work. And then I got a chance to meet uh, Alex, I had a concert during that time and Peter, as usual, I told him what I was playing, he showed up and he brought Alex. And at that time, I got opportunity to speak to Alex about Alex's interest in me doing the uh, writing for the film. So it was a it was a it was an honor. It was a long winded answer to say it was a true honor and to work with Alex and uh, try to help him with his vision. But then Peter, I, I know him, so I kind of was able to write a melody for him because I know him. So that kind of helped in that way. Alex, I, I want to say how lucky or maybe uh, arduous it was to have that much archival footage throughout the film. <laughs> can you can you talk about the amount um, that is in the film? And also when you were talking with Peter and he was telling these stories and it was, you know, in the moment it's great and you're hearing them, but then you go back to the editing room you're like, oh, do I have, do I have photos from this? Is there video from this? Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, <laughs> but, you know, of all, I wore every hat on the film except <laughs> for the hat of the composer. Um, so I did all the research myself as well which started with kind of a box of random things that Peter had that was his archive, everything from childhood photos to slides of artwork, you know, from decades ago um, to, you know, little newspaper clippings and things. Um, Peter didn't save a lot. You know, Peter's a kind of guy that moved around a lot over time. And um, he, he didn't have a lot of photos. Some of the 
best photos he had were these nice black and white prints, some of them eight by 10 prints that I could tell were professional photos. And he started telling me about his friend, the photographer, Adger Cowens. Um, and Adger is actually a few years older than Peter. They've known each other since the 1960s. Um, and the best archival photos I have of Peter from the 60s and 70s are, are Adger's. Um, and so his, his photos were really the most crucial archival I had to, to, to tell Peter's story visually. Um, and um, Adger came on as an executive producer after he saw the film and loved it so much and wanted to do whatever he could to help. I said, well, there's, you know, there's something called an executive producer. <laughs> and, uh, and so he, he's like, he was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and Adger's coming. I'm sorry, he's not here now. He's, he's on route and will be here um, in a couple of hours. Um, but it was a lot of tracking things down, you know, some Getty images. Um, uh, but then just looking around, thankfully we have the internet and it's easy to Google search, but lots of phone calls to different institutions trying to find photos of Peter's work, et cetera. There's a wonderful balance between um, what you deliver to us in terms of his history and uh, and aspects throughout his career where he, where he need, he had to deal with systemic racism in getting his art shown and and blockades that 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 he, that he faced that of course should not have been there, um, and you know as well as seeing the process his artistic process which which is wonderful when we can see that but I have to tell you for me one of the the, the distinctive things about the film that I loved was the moments that you have where he is assessing his own work that he's just done. And he's pleased with himself. And, and it's great. It's great for, for, you know, how he goes, yeah, I like this one. This is great. And we rarely see that kind of, of, of an artist assessing their own work because they're usually so guarded. And so yeah. congratulations on that. I think that makes the film just that much more special. Well, yeah. I mean, Peter was so open and genuine and uh, really remarkable as a subject in front of a camera. I was telling someone recently, I can't. I can't think of one instance in going through all the footage, which I shot over, I think, 40 different days, 20 interviews at least. He never looked to the lens once. Mm -hmm. He only was looking at me. Um, mm -hmm. And so for him to just forget about all that apparatus uh, is pretty remarkable. And yeah, it, it's great being around Peter because number one, when he talks about his art, it's with a complete lack of pretension is that the right word pretense yeah you know mm -hmm. it's just that's what he does he kind of talks a bit more about a at a craft level and he has this childlike excitement about him when he's when when he sees what his work is doing uh, or because there's a there's a living aspect in a way to the paint when peter puts it down he uses very watered down um, acrylic paints and they they move they're alive the paint takes a while to you do what it's going to do, and sometimes over days and weeks. And so, him always coming back and seeing what happened. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, he, yeah, he likes he likes his paintings. <laughs> <laughs> it is really fun to watch him dance with colors, and I love his uh, explanation of um, when he hears the music, he he sees a color for that music. And I was wondering, Javon, does that kind of work as a composer sort of inversely for you? Like, do you see an image and it reminds you of a sound or a particular instrument? I do agree with that. I do 
see an individual or I can look at you or look at someone and you see a color or you see a sound. So I uh, agree. A lot of those statements that he makes really do ring true. And again, that's the musician in him because he, I think he was a budding trumpet player at mm-hmm. one point or a musician and uh, he loves music. So he really knows the, uh, specifically the, the jazz canon and the art form he really is able to speak about. It. But yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, that aspect of that conversation. It's a wonderful introduction to Peter Bradley, to uh, the folks that are not familiar with him. Uh, he he should be very happy with what you've done, Alex. Um, <laughs> Peter's always been my biggest fan. So. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the title of the film is With Peter Bradley, which is screening at Slamdance. We've been talking to the director, Alex Rappaport, and the composer, Javon Jackson. Again, Javon, congratulations for your Image Award nomination. I appreciate it. And there's uh, there's no city. It's that just meant New York City. <laughs> It's true. I'm sorry, but he's right. No, New York's great. No, we get it. We get it. Wait, Javon. Okay, so what sounds are we? <laughs> what, what sound? What, what sound? What, color do you say you can see? Like, well, you look like a solid D flat major. <laughs> yeah. I and am D flat is supposed to be like the, in my opinion, like one of the most soulful keys. Oh, to play. what an honor! Thank you. D flat. <laughs> Can't, can't end it better than that. He doesn't. You want me to do you? I can sure. do you too. Oh, I mean, this, is like a, this is like an aura, but like a music aura. I like it, yeah. Reading. Solid D minor. Okay. Oh. Yeah, there you go. Coltrane wrote a piece called mm-hmm. uh, Impressions. That was in D minor. That's all you had to say was John. Fire. Yeah. Yep. Oh, she's fire. That's true. <laughs> now, do I have to do John? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on today's show. You can find more information about this episode in our show notes. If you're missing us, you can visit us at bitchtalkpodcast.com to sign up for our newsletter and buy us a cup of coffee. Did you know we're also on the radio? You can find us at bff.fm. And lastly, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Only the coolest bitches are doing it. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. BFF.fm, best frequencies forever.